Hey, Cornerstone Church, how is it going? You guys, great to see you today. Well, my name is Scott, and I want to just welcome everybody at the Scottsdale campus, everyone out at Santan, all the folks online at Cornerstone Online, and the rowdy crowd at the 5 o'clock service in Chandler. The rest of Chandler welcomes you guys. Come on, let's give it up for everybody that's joining with us today. So glad to be here with you guys. You know, since I was last here, you guys threw a huge party. Man, I'll tell you what, you know how to throw a party. You can throw it down 20 years of celebrating the great things that God has done through Cornerstone Church all throughout the Phoenix area and literally around the world. I mean, come on, no one likes to be part of a church that nothing's going on. Are you guys excited about what God's doing here? 20 years of a significant impact happening year after year. It's so amazing. So amazing, man. Um, you know, another thing is you guys experience incredible teaching here at Cornerstone Church. I think Pastor Lynn is, is, in my opinion, one of the best Bible teachers that I've heard in a long time. And just great stuff. Uh, uh, totally, man. Um, great teacher. And, and just everybody who, who pours into you guys and invests in you at all of the campuses and the team that teaches you what God has to say about everyday life and how we can walk that out in a really practical way. And uh, it's just amazing. And today... Because you experienced so much great teaching, I want to kind of change the, the, the course just a little. Uh, instead of teaching a message about God, my prayer is really that you would have a moment with God. I want to take you on a journey by telling you a story. And this story is really going to start with you. So I want you to be what might seem selfish for a moment, but I want you to be really selfish because I want you to think about all of your awesomeness. Come on, man. I mean, Scripture says that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are the object of his affection. We are the result of his design. And I don't think we often enough think about how great God has made us to be. That's not selfish. I think it's just worshiping God and thanking him for that. So think about you and all your awesomeness. I mean, start here. Think about how great looking you are. I mean, really, look, look at the person behind you and remember how great looking you are compared to them. Some of you guys are like, trying to get that over your shoulder look going on. That great looking group of folks, think about how good you are at maybe many things, but maybe for, for work, you do something that you're one of the best. You've done it for years, and if you were to be just plain honest, you'd say, you know, I'm really good at that. I do that real well. Maybe it's a hobby for you. It's something you just love doing with extra time, and you do a great job with it. Maybe it's something in the context of family and parenting and relationships or serving other people or whatever that is. But this thing, and you do a lot of things really well, and there's a lot of great things to be thankful for about who God has made us to be. Now I want you to think about the other side of the coin for just a moment. Think about a thing in your life, maybe the thing in your life that drives you crazy. What's that thing in your life that if you were to be honest, you'd say, man, I, I really need God's help in this area of my life. In fact, for some of us, we might even say, if I'm, I need God so much in this area of my life, if he doesn't show up, this could fly south real fast. I could really mess things up. Maybe it's something in your life that's really holding you back from living the fullness of life that God desires. Maybe for some of us, it's living with this uh, never-ending sense of fear. 
this, oh my gosh, what's going to happen if I step out and do this? I'm going to fail. I'm going to get hurt. Something bad's going to happen. And we're just kind of crippled by this fear that we can't seem to get past. Maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's a stress level that you've lived under for years and years and years. And you're, it's, it's your normal, but you know it's driving you crazy. And it's unhealthy physically and it's unhealthy relationally. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you wrestle with anger. I get it. Everybody's an idiot driver. I understand. But if we don't get control of this issue of anger, it could derail us. Maybe what you wrestle with, maybe that one thing's a little different than that. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an alcohol addiction or it's an addiction to uh, prescription medication. Maybe it's something that very few people know about. Maybe it's something that no one knows about but you and maybe even God. Maybe it's a, an addiction to pornography. Whatever it is, what's that one thing in your life where if you were to be honest, you'd say, man, I really need God to work in this area of my life. Now, what if God were to work in that area of your life? What if God were to bring you to a level of freedom that you've never experienced in that area in your life? What might next year look like if that were to happen? What might your relationships look like if God were to bring us to that new place of freedom in that one area? I want you to open up your Bibles today to Psalm 34. We're going to stay in Psalm 34 for the rest of our time together. And it's in verse 8 is our first verse I want to read. One of my favorites. I love this verse. Here's what it says. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now pause for just a moment. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not just hear another message about who God is. Not another teaching about his nature and his character and the attributes of our holy God. Not just another teaching on Christ as risen Savior, as the Son of God, as something that's like an idea out there. But this verse says to us, taste and see for yourself. In everyday life, in our world, let's taste and see in a very personal way how good God really is. Taste and see that God is good. And then it goes on. It says, blessed is the one who hides from God in shame because of their struggles. It doesn't, does it? Blessed is the one who in all of our inadequacy, all of our struggles, all of our sin, all of our insecurity, all of our issues, blessed is the person who knows about the grace of God and chooses to take refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. What's that one thing in your life that you'd say, God, would you step in? Would you help me? Because I just can't seem to get past this on my own. Back up a little bit in this chapter. Go to verse 4. With that one thing in mind, I want, you to, I want to encourage you, let Scripture speak to you. Here's what it says. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. Isn't that a novel idea? We call out to God, and he responds. How cool would that be? 
I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Now, let me just say this on that word delivered. If you're not familiar with scripture, the word delivered is kind of a, kind of a creepy word. You think of like a horror film or some creepy cultic thing. That's not what this means. Whenever we read the word delivered in scripture, basically what it's saying is that when we find our play, ourselves in a place where we've already exhausted all of our resources, We've done what we humanly can do, and yet we're still stuck in that place in life. Here comes God stepping in, and he intervenes with his strength and his power and his resources, and he reaches in, and he pulls us out and delivers us from it. That's what that means. So it says he delivers them from all our fears. And then it goes on. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Isn't that cool? Those who basically say, you know what? I'm going to gaze on the goodness of God. And I'm going to be fixated on his glory and his goodness. And I'm going to keep my gaze on him. And then every now and then I'm going to glance on my struggle. And it's just going to shrink in light of the greatness of God. Because God is more than enough in my life. And it goes on and says, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he what? He delivers them. That's what scripture tells us about who God is. A little while back, I was speaking at a church in Michigan near where I grew up. And uh, I went out to visit my mom and dad while I was there. Because we live in California, so anytime I can get over there, it's just a great thing to spend time with them. And so I'm visiting with my mom and dad, and we're in the house, hanging out and talking. We're sitting in the living room. And I noticed a bookshelf against the wall, and I saw this on the bookshelf, this Bible right here. This is the first Bible that I ever bought. And I go through this, and it's now actually become my morning reading Bible. I brought it back home with me, and I I flipped through this, and I'll see like notations and highlights and all the notes here. And there's things I read in here, and I'll go, man, I remember that time of my life. I remember what God did in my life when I was going through that time. And this reminds me of just great things that God has done. It also reminds me of how God brought me through some some pretty low valleys in my life over the years. But this, it was the first Bible I ever bought. But it was not my first Bible. It was actually my second Bible because my first Bible was one that someone gave me and they gave it to me after they shared with me who Christ is, who Jesus is. And I gave my life to Jesus and they gave me a Bible. And in fact, it was actually a burgundy-colored Bible like this. It wasn't huge like this big old thing, but it was a little paperback Bible. And I was in California, and I come back to Michigan, and I give my heart to Christ. And I remember walking into the house, and I had my little paperback burgundy Bible. And I walked into the house. My parents were excited to see me because I'd been gone for quite a while. I, be, I get back home, and I had in my hands that paperback Bible, and I set it on the table, and their eyes were like, boo! What just happened to our son? Because we grew up in a home where God was never part of the conversation. Church wasn't even something on our radar. Uh, none of that stuff. And so when I brought a, a Bible home and they saw it said on the top, Holy Bible, they literally told me later, they said, when you walked in the door and put that Bible on the table, we thought, oh my God, our son is in a cult. They did. And I, uh, being new in my faith, I just started living out my relationship with Christ in front of my parents. I didn't know really the things to say or to do and all that kind of stuff. And so I just started loving God and he was doing so much in my life. I got plugged into a great church, just like Cornerstone. And I started to grow spiritually. 
and my parents were kind of watching me and my mom became curious and my dad was really resistant though. He was, he was really holding back. Now what he wasn't holding back on was uh, how much he drank. And I've shared this in pieces before, but I want to tell you the whole story. I grew up in, uh, in a home where my dad was an alcoholic. My whole life, he was mostly drunk the whole time. He drank six days a week. On the seventh day, he didn't drink. It almost sounds like a biblical verse. Six days he drank. On the seventh day, he rested. That's not how it goes. Because there was no rest in our home when he didn't drink. He was miserable. I'm like, oh, please drink again, would you? But he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a hard liquor drinker. He drank beer. And he would drink uh, three six-packs a day. So that's 18 beers. Now, that's a lot of calories, if you're asking me, man. That's a lot. And what would happen was he would come home from work, and he, he was a welder in a factory, and he'd get out of work at about 3.30 in the afternoon. I would be home from school right about that time. And he'd always walk up to the house with the five-pack in his hand. Now, if you're like me and you've had your rounds, you know you don't buy beer in five-packs, right? It was a six-pack about three minutes previous at the convenience store, but by the time he got home, he'd already thrown one down because from 3.30 to about 11 p.m., he drank three six-packs. He was always loaded. So he's watching me in my new faith in Christ and kind of like, oh, keep me at arm's distance. My mom really became curious and opened up to the message of Christ and got to that point where she allowed me to pray with her to ask Christ to be her Savior. And I was like, this is awesome, Mom. You're going to heaven. This is so cool. Now you can live your life for God and see what he can do in your life. And so it was a really exciting time. Well, my dad, he was still resistant. He was still holding back. And, uh, but he, he'd be curious every now, every now and then. And so after he would drink plenty, we'd have these God conversations, which was always kind of interesting and entertaining at times. But I'll never remember, or I'll never forget the night that we were sitting at the kitchen table and Bible's on the table and literally we're sitting at the kitchen table and my dad asks me a question that really took me, uh, as a, a curveball, he says, he basically says, you know, Scott, if, um, if God is so loving, like you say he is, and, and Jesus is everything you say, and that, that Bible is real and all of that, then why? And he begins to ask me these why questions that uh, were just crazy. He says, and I knew everything, every question he asked me about, and he kind of unpack all of this pain in his life. And I knew the incidents in which he was referring to, but I had never seen my dad so emotional about all of it at once because he was literally suppressing and medicating all that pain all, all those years, probably from drinking. And he says, okay, if, if, if that book is true and God is so good, then tell me why did my dad completely abandon me? His dad, his biological father, showed up once in his life. He was eight years old, just out of nowhere, one day, and then he was gone again. Never saw him again in his life. And he says, he says, why would a good God allow me to live up, to grow up with, uh, abandoned as a child from my father? And then he, I didn't get a chance to try to respond. And he says, you know, if God is so good, why did my stepdad stick that gun in his mouth and shoot himself. If God is so good, why does that happen? 
And if, you know, if, if God is so good, why, why, why would he allow my, my 16-year-old baby sister to die in that car accident? And I'm just like, oh boy. Yeah, and Scott, if, if, if God is so good, why, why did he allow his second stepdad, why did he allow grandpa to kill grandma and then turn the gun on himself and take his own life? So here's a grown man basically saying, if God is so good, why did the, of the three father figures in his life, one completely abandoned him, and two of them died with self-inflicted gunshot wounds? And he says, if God is so good, why? I'm a brand new believer. I'm like, where's Tim Tebow when you need him, man? He's got something to say about this, you know? I didn't, I didn't have an answer. You know what? I, didn't, I don't think I needed to give him an answer. But what I do remember saying, and I basically said, Dad, I don't really know why, but I think God can heal your heart. And you fast forward a few months after that, and my dad got to that place where he said, okay, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in on this thing. I'm going to go in. I'm going to say yes to God, and I'm going to ask him to be part of my life. So would you pray with me? So I had the opportunity to pray with him. He asked Christ to be a savior, and I'm thinking, yeah, mom's going to heaven, dad's going to heaven. This is cool, baby. Who's next? You know, kind of a thing. And it was such a great moment. But even with that, he was still struggling with all the alcohol, still drinking like a sailor. And every now and then he'd say to me, he'd say, uh, he'd, he'd say he's going to go to church with me. But it would be on Saturday night. You know, if you've ever had a history of drinking, you know, Saturday nights, man, we can put some big goals up there for Sunday morning. You know what I mean? We're like, hey, man, we're going to go skydiving tomorrow in the morning. We're going to, you know, whatever. And so he'd be like, Scott, I'm going to go to church with you tomorrow morning, man. I'm in. Let's do this thing. And I used to get all excited about it. But most of the time, he'd never follow through because he'd wake up on Sunday morning and his head would be going, bleh, bleh, right? Hangover, head throbbing. He wouldn't go. But every now and then, he would go to church with me. And I remember we would go in, in, the, in the church I was in, then we had actually had pews. You guys know what pews are? Scottsdale campus, you know what pews are. You're sitting in them right now. Right there, those long benches. And we'd sit in the pews, and he'd literally be like white-knuckle guy in the back of the pew the whole time. And it's like he was inspiring him and encouraging him, but scaring the bejeebers out of him because like, oh my gosh, this is real stuff, and I don't know what to do with all this stuff. And God was just really working in his heart. And so every now and then he'd go to church. Most often he didn't. And it, some time went on, though. He starts reading his Bible a little here and there, starting to really soften to the things of God. And at that point in time, I'm living with some guys in a city about a half hour away. We had about four of us who were roommates. And I remember one summer night, a Michigan summer night, very humid. I'm sitting in my bedroom. I'm sitting on my futon. You guys know what a futon is? I mean, to a single guy, that's like, that's like your bed, that's your couch, that's your trampoline, that's your kitchen counter. It's everything. Your ramen noodles fit really good right on top of that futon. So I'm sitting on my futon reading my Bible. Honest to God truth. It's about 9.30 at night. I've got to be at work at 7 a.m. the next morning. I was not a morning guy. So I tried it. I was like, man, I got to get to bed pretty soon because I got to get up early. I'm reading my Bible, and I just get this strong impression that says, you've got to go visit your dad. 
And I'm thinking, it's 9.30, man. It's a half-hour drive. I won't be back here before midnight. I got to get up at 6. No way. Um, no, that's what I, no. So I just keep on reading my Bible. And the, the, the impression gets stronger and stronger. And I'm thinking, maybe this is God. Maybe this is how God speaks to me. And so I thought, let's do this thing. So I get in my two-door white Ford Escort, four cylinders, a 20-horsepower, chick magnet car, four-speed, four on the floor, baby. And I floored that thing and did about 70, pegged the speedometer all the way to my dad's house, about a half hour away. And my mom was at work. She worked second shift. The house was lit up. It's in the middle of summer, so it's just a screen door. I knock on the door. Nobody answers. It's about 10 o'clock at night. I knock again, no answer. So I start kind of talking, yelling through the screen door. Hey, dad, are you, dad, are you here? It's Scott. He comes walking around to the door, has nothing on but a towel wrapped around his waist. I'm like, that's creepy. That's just weird, man. What's going on? And he says, what are you doing here? And I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here. Who knows what's going to happen? Come on in. He says, we get in. And he says, what's up? What's, what's going on? Uh, I said, okay, this might sound strange, but I was just at home. I'm reading my Bible, and I think God told me to come and visit you. He says, hold on. He goes and gets some clothes on. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> he comes back out. He's dressed. We sit down at that same kitchen table. He says, uh, he says, you know, this is, this is pretty crazy. He says, I was just taking a shower about a half hour ago. And um, I'm praying. I'm praying, God, I can't stop drinking. Would you help me? And I prayed, God, would you send someone to help me? So he said that. My faith odometer was like, Whoa! I mean... I'm redlining, baby. I'm hypercharged. I'm going to bust out TV preacher on him, man. I'm so full of faith and confidence. Oh, yeah, baby. And so I'm stoked. I'm thinking, man, okay, this is a God thing. So I instantly, it was just so cool. I'm like, okay, you know what, Dad? I think this is what's going to happen. I think God wants to bring you freedom. He wants to set you free from alcohol. I think he wants to do that. And I think he wants to do it right now. Dad, do you want that? I mean, I'm just going after it. He's like, man, I want that. I really do. And I said, well, let's do this. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to step in and do that. But before we pray, let's look at some scriptures so that we know we're right in line with how to pray about this thing. So I grabbed this Bible and I opened it up and I turned to um, John chapter 8. And here's what it says. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read it to you. It's even highlighted, man. You know there's extra horsepower when you highlight Bible verses, right? And so I said, Dad, here's what, here's what the Bible says. And in John 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 31, uh, Jesus is teaching. It says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And here's what it says in verse 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think God wants to set you free. And then I scrolled down to verse 36. And I, well, you didn't scroll back then. You just went down, right? And so verse 36, I said, here's what else it says, Dad. And it's written in red, man. So I said, so, only you Bible people know what I just meant by that. So verse 36, it says, so if the Son, referring to Jesus, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
And I'm just pegging on faith, man. I said, but we're not going to stop there yet. I'm going to, so I turned over to Mark, uh, chapter 16 and I read that, right? I mean, that's, I don't know if you can see that. That's highlighted, baby. That's extra juice right there. And so I said, dad, here's what it says. This is the words of Jesus. He said, whoever believes in the baptized will be saved. He goes on in verse 17. He says, these signs will accompany those who believe. And then it says some radical stuff, man. It's like, like it says, um, um, in my name, they'll drive out demons and other stuff. I'm like, whoa, man, this is pretty serious. I said, but down here, it says this. These signs will accompany those who believe. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And I said, dad, let's just do what the Bible says. How about I pray for you? I'll put my hands on you. Maybe I'll put one hand on you and get the other, the other satellite prayer hand. Like, God, where are you? Oh, gotcha. We're locked in. No, no I didn't do that, but we just prayed together. And we're literally, we're not, we're not praying like a, um, uh, dinner prayer, you know, like, oh God, thank you for this food. We're leaving the first rule. We have eight meals a day. We're all good. We don't really need you anyway, God, but thank you so much for our food. We didn't pray any of that stuff. We're like, God, we need you right now. We're desperate. This man could die in a few years if he doesn't stop. God, will you set him free? Will you free him from this? And it was one of those bold, like, life is on the line kind of prayers. And we prayed, and then I was like, okay, Dad, you got to have some skin in the game here. You talk to God. I'm like bossing my dad around. It was so weird. You talk to him. He's like, okay, God, uh, just set me free. Uh, give me freedom from this. And, and I, I can't stop doing this. And I'm, I'm addicted, God, and help me. And we just like, okay. And we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. He walks over to the refrigerator and he grabs his last three cans of beer. He brings them over to the sink, opens them up, and pours them down the drain. Now, I guarantee you in over 30 years of alcoholism, he had never poured a, an unopened can of beer down the drain. Guarantee you. I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. He's pretty serious about this deal. We talk for a little bit. I head out. I got to get to bed, man. I'm tired. The next day, he doesn't drink at all. Next day, he doesn't drink. Next day, next day, he never drank again. God instantly, in a moment, set him free. He never even detoxed. It was a miracle of God. It was incredible. So, why do I share that with you? I want to share that story with you because I want to encourage you in this. Whatever that one area is in your life, God is able. God is able to step in and pull you out and deliver you from what you cannot free yourself from. God is fully able to do that. I've seen it firsthand. Maybe you ask the, the, the natural question for some of us is, well, well, how come your dad was instantaneously um, freed from alcohol addiction where with mine I've prayed and man I've got to walk through a 12-step process I don't know why would some people Scott when I've seen some people get prayed for when they're sick and God heals them and other people they don't I've been prayed for and I've been healed I've been prayed for and I went back and threw up I don't know I, I knew one guy he was uh in an accident he got t-boned by a semi-truck He's laying in ICU on life support. He is a mess. 
And I go to the hospital to visit him, and I'm going to pray for him. And the surgeons are like, you're not touching him, sir. I'm like, well, I get back to Mark 16, lay your hands on the sick. I'm like, well, can I just touch him? And I, I literally went, and I prayed for him. How awesome and tough macho does that look, you know? But a bunch of people prayed for him as well, and he went on to live a relatively normal life. It was a miracle, incredible. I've also visited people in the hospital and prayed for them and officiated their funeral a week later. I don't know. Why? Why not? Maybe for some of us, if we have to go through more of a a longer process, maybe God is going to get more glory by walking us through a path of more maturity to get there. I don't know. But what I do know is whatever the path God chooses for us, for you, is he is fully able to bring us freedom. He's fully able. Turn to Psalm 34. Stay right there, Psalm 34. Look at verse 17. Here's what it says. It says, the righteous cry out. That's simply anyone who's in a relationship with Jesus. The righteous cry out. The Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're, you're crushed in spirit. You're walking with a heavy burden because you don't see a way out. John chapter 8, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. God is able. I want you to allow me to pray for you this morning. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. At all of our campuses, I want us to just be in a posture of prayer for just a couple minutes. I really believe that God is going to bring some freedom to a bunch of us today. I really believe that many of us are here today who, um, who have tried and tried and tried, and you just can't get free. And maybe you're at that place where my dad was, where he's like, okay, I, I give up and I throw myself in the hands of God. Maybe for you it is that fear, or it's that stress, or it's that addiction. Maybe it's a secret thing, maybe it's a public thing. But in this moment, I just want to encourage you. Tell God what that is. He knows what it is. He just wants us to humble ourselves. Whisper it to God or say it under your breath, say it in your heart. And if you are coveting desperately the power of God in your life to set you free, I pray that right now you'd ask him for it. He will respond. For many of us, it may be instant. For many of us, it might be a journey, but he will respond. Father, I thank you for everyone here. Lord, I thank you that you deliver us, God. You told us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Today, Lord, we choose to take refuge in you. And we ask you to free us from this thing in our life that gets between us and our relationship with you and is unhealthy for our life. God, I pray that you'd set us free. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just for a moment longer, I want to just speak to to all of us here. And maybe maybe you're here, maybe you're sitting in Scottsdale or Santan or the five o'clock service or online or right here in Chandler and someone who cares about you invited you to be at church. And suddenly you're confronted with this reality of, wow, 
Maybe this God thing, this Jesus thing is legit. And one of the ways God's showing you that it's legit is he's stirring in your heart the desire to lay down your life to him. I want to tell you right now, there's nothing better to do than surrender to it and ask Christ into your life. Maybe you're, you're sitting here today and that's you. You're like, man, that's me. How do I do this, Scott? How do I ask Christ into my life? It's as simple as a prayer, but it's as powerful as a changed life. I want to pray. As you stay in your seat and include you in this prayer, if you want to ask Christ in your life for the very first time, maybe that's you. You'd say, Scott, that's me. I want this Christ in my life. I want to taste and see the goodness of God for myself. I want to ask Christ into my life. If that's you at every location, man, just say, and that's me, just lift your hand. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. It's between you and God, but I want to see who I get to pray with this morning. I want Christ in my life. I want to taste and see that he's good. If that's you, lift your hand up. Yeah, I see your hand right here in the middle. Praise God. Another one, yes, ma'am, I see you. A couple of them in the back. Awesome. Awesome. Praise God. Who else is, Scott, I want to pray this prayer. I want to ask Christ in my life. Yeah, sorry, I see you right in the back row there to, to my right. Right over here to my left. Good for you. Who else, Scott, include me in this prayer? Yeah, I see you right down here towards the front. Anyone else as we pray? I want Christ in my life. Yeah, ma'am, I see your hand. Let's pray this together. Let's pray this with those folks. Yeah, I saw your hand just pop up right there. Awesome. We're going to pray a prayer of surrender. And God's going to forgive us of our sin. He's going to wipe the slate clean. And we're going to begin a new walk with Christ. And you're going to be able to taste and see his goodness. Let's all pray this. Say this out loud. Say, Father God, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you're the Son of God. You died on the cross for me. And yet you've risen from the dead. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Help me to taste and see your goodness as I follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I think we should just celebrate and congratulate those folks who made that decision. Don't you think so? Wow. Awesome. So, so cool. Hey, here, let me do this real quick. Um, We'll be done in about three minutes. I guarantee you the next few minutes are going to be worth your time. First thing I want to encourage you to do, if you raised your hand, you prayed that prayer to ask Christ in your life, I want you to grab the card that's in the seat back in front of you that says, I said yes to God. And I want you to let Cornerstone Church know. They want to know, like, what's God doing and how can we help? And I think the best next step is to tell somebody and to tell tell Cornerstone that you made that decision. We're going to continue to worship in just a moment, and David's going to lead us. But if that's you, fill that thing out. And when you exit in just a moment, drop it off where it says the yes banners or at any exit, there's a receptacle there where you can you can drop that off. The next thing is we're just going to take about two minutes and we're going to take communion together. And I think this is important and it's powerful because God is stirring in us what he wants to do in our hearts. That one thing he's speaking to you on and working on, let's let this time of communion be a time of worship and thankfulness that he's working in our life. As the folks are going to pass out the elements, basically the, the wafer represents the broken body of Christ on the cross, and the juice represents the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Take these elements at your convenience as we worship, so take them on your own time. But worship God, saying, God, thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your blood that sets me free. So let's go ahead and continue to worship by taking communion. David.